would I do it again? Without a doubt, without a question, I would do it again because someone needs to do it. Someone needs to be the guy that says, hey, I got the time. Hey, I got the ability to make other people's lives a little easier. Welcome back to Adventures in Service, the show where we talk about regular people who have combined travel with service to create life-changing adventures. I'm your host, Dan Grinthal. Joining me today is Devin Mott, one of my old AmeriCorps teammates. In 2016, our team, Delta One, was dispatched along with hundreds of other relief workers to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to help out in the aftermath of the Great Flood of 2016. What I want to ask Devin about today is an aspect of disaster relief our team saw a whole lot of, but which not many people are familiar with, and that's running a relief warehouse. So Devin, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Let's get right into it. Devin, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Uh, I was born and raised in Oregon, uh, which is on the west coast of the United States. Uh, I was born into it like a... a middle to low income family. Uh, my dad was a postman and my mom would stay at home. Besides that, nothing too eventful. Okay. So what made you want to join AmeriCorps? Uh, it was actually during a pretty rough time of my life. See, when I was in high school, my parents uh, fell behind in some rent, uh, rent payments and we actually ended up losing our house. And I was homeless for four years while going through high school. And I want to say it was like 2014-ish. We were finally able to get like a temporary housing uh, through the Salvation Army. And uh, as soon as I graduated high school, I said I decided that the best uh, thing I can do for myself was to watch out for myself and actually push forward with my life. And I ended up joining Job Corps, which is a vocational training center. Uh, they're located throughout the U.S., I spent a year and a half learning how to weld, and then after that, I decided to join AmeriCorps because I didn't really have a place to go. Yeah, I I always remember you had a you had a very good story, you know, and and you would never know, based on your outlook on life, you would never know that you'd gone through so many difficult periods, you know. Yeah, it's it's all about uh, your headspace. Like if you commit a hundred and ten percent, and you Take like every opportunity you can to get yourself out of a difficult uh, situation. Nine times out of ten, it'll work out. Absolutely. So tell us about your first project. What was it like to be deployed on disaster relief in Baton Rouge six days after the Great Flood started? Well, when I first uh, heard about AmeriCorps, I always was told, oh, it's just volunteer service you're just going to go like pull up some weeds you're going to help some old people walk the streets you're going to teach some kids it wasn't until like i was actually in the program that i really learned about the disaster response part of it and i want dumped in is not the right word because they did train us pretty well i guess it was kind of uh, a minor shock to suddenly be part of such a grand scale effort to help people it was really stressful because I've just never been in a situation like that. But eventually you start to like, get used to it and you realize that you need to not focus so much on your personal stress. And you need to focus more on what you can do to help others that are in more dire situation than you just being uncomfortable. Yeah, 
Yeah, I love that. It was a big shock for most of us. We finished our training, and then I think it was like three days later, we got a call in the middle of the afternoon, and within four hours, we were all in a van. Yeah, no, I completely forgot about that. I'll say it was Jay Chan called her up and was like, hey, pack up the team. We need you to go. Uh, sure, well, when do you guys need us to go? Uh, four hours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty immediate. It was like snap of the fingers. We just dropped everything, packed everything in a van, and then all of a sudden we're, we're off and running. Awesome. So can you tell us about the first place we stayed at? Do you remember? Um, was that the Red Cross warehouse? No, no. That was later. Talk about that too, but when we first got down there, we were in the State Museum of Louisiana. You remember that? Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> oh, I just completely blanked to that. Oh, that was such a trip. It was so <laughs> cool, though. Oh, my yeah, God. Being in a museum at night. Oh, my God. So, uh, the first day, so we were doing mucking and gutting, which is, uh, for the listeners, that's uh, when you go into a house, you rip up all the drywall, all the carpeting. If it's not nailed down, you remove it. If it's nailed down, you pull harder. Like, if it's not studs, uh, it comes up and it's out. I remember, like, after that, we drove back. Our, we were just covered in, like, moldy water and, like, nasty drywall. And we just reeked. And... I remember all of us just sitting down at the back door and all of us were just staring off to the space. Like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Uh, <laughs> Cause we were just all exhausted. I remember, I remember you, <laughs> I remember you just like leaning against the wall and you were just like staring up and you had like this look on your face. Uh, that <laughs> was like mild confusion. Yep. It was, uh, it was rough. It was like, it was like shell shock. I mean, we got to this place in the dark. We didn't see any of it. And we slept in this empty room in the State Museum of Louisiana. It's just like a dark museum at night. And then we got a few hours of sleep. We woke up and it was like walking out into the neighborhoods looked like a war zone. There were piles of trash, like as high as a grown man next to every single house. And then they just threw us. They threw us into a house, gave us some hammers, and told us to rip it apart. And then <laughs> we were oh, shocked. Yeah, that was with uh, Nahama, right? The disaster response? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nahama. Yeah. Uh, I remember I remember the guy was telling DMAC, just imagine a steak dinner because he was having problems with the smell of the place. He's like, just imagine <laughs> a steak dinner. He's like, yo, dog, that ain't cool. He's like, why? He's like, I like steak. This ain't steak. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like DMAC. That sounds like DMAC. So fortunately for DMAC and for the rest of us, uh, I think we only did mucking and gutting for one day. And then they sent us to the disaster relief warehouse. Can you tell us what it was like in the first couple of days working there? Yeah, it was it was uh, kind of chaotic until we started uh, getting like our, our ourselves rooted in and like understanding how to organize and run a warehouse because we're all what we were under the age of like 30 all of us like the oldest person on our team was 20 something 23 24 yeah that was shane yep i was the youngest one at 19 20 Mm -hmm. oh yeah none of us have like worked in a warehouse before and so we're all like working with oh they were such nice people why can't i remember the organization 
the uh, ACSDR, the Adventist Community Services Disaster Relief. Somehow. Yeah, I was about to say it's a big old uh, acronym. This is an arm of the Adventist Church, which I still don't know how they settled on this as their their community service thing to do. But their thing is Uh, they travel all over the country and they do disaster relief, setting up warehouses. So they have expertise in managing all the goods that come in and they're all they're all retired people. They're awesome. I like hats off to them, like straight up hats off to them. When you're in, uh, when you do AmeriCorps, you get some benefits. So you get like a living stipend where you get like a small amount of money paid to you. You get like all your your food and your housing taken care of. These people were doing it for free. They were doing it out of the goodness of their heart. And I just I can't really fathom that. It's nice knowing that people out out there exist. And that there were a few that weren't retired too. Um, yeah. And they just they took off from their oh, yeah, careers they, and they dropped everything and just like, hey, we need to go do this. Yeah, for sometimes months at a time. Okay, so let me back up. One of your special roles with our team were you were our vehicles safety and tools officer, and that kind of that kind of flowed pretty well into your position as our forklift point man at the warehouse. So you and me got to learn yeah. forklift, but you you really you were the forklift guy. Yeah, I remember that. Just to do like a little uh, backpedaling before we got redeployed to do the uh, disaster response. I remember we were clearing sight lines for a uh, like a runaway kids home. Uh, we legally can't say the name of it, but we can talk about some of the work that we did. Uh, mostly what we were doing is we were clearing a uh, sight line brush all the way down to uh, the bus stop. So that way they could make sure the kids are getting out of the bus to go to school. While we were doing that, my role as the VST, Vehicle Safety and Tools, my whole thing is uh, making sure the vehicle's in like working order, make sure everyone's using the proper PPE, which is personal protection equipment, so like hard hats, safety glasses, respirators, uh, inspecting tools and making sure like they're in proper order and if something's wrong, like make sure to toss them aside. Uh, but one thing I re- remember so much, and I remember there was a like a, a campus-wide email that went out about it, is that our team leader she climbed up into a tree to like start cutting a branch, and she ended up falling out of the tree, and I caught her while falling. Huh. I remember that. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, no, like she fell out of the tree, and like I immediately like I caught her like in a bear hug. And like uh, branches fell down and like the clippers fell down uh, next to us. And I'm like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm okay. You can put me down now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm holding on to you. Yeah, that sounds like Shane. <laughs> yeah, so you were you were a safety hero from pretty much day one there. Yeah, yeah there was like a campus-wide email about that. No more oh, yeah. climbing trees. Yeah. <laughs> no more climbing trees around it. Why don't you tell us what it was like learning how to drive a forklift? Because we were not doing light work. Like we were running – this was a very large operation, and you were taking a forklift into 18-wheelers and stacking pallets three high. Oh, yeah. Um. So before this, I've never operated a forklift, never operated like any sort of heavy machinery. Like the heaviest thing I ever drove was like a Toyota Prius. All right. Oh. And so, yeah. Really? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was the first time I ever operated a forklift. And it was a very interesting experience to understand how to operate a forklift. 
with a with a car your front wheels are the ones that turn with a forklift the back wheels are the ones that turn and so you got to keep in mind like uh how i did it is i like i imagined the forklift at a top down like all the time and i just kind of like drew a circle around the forklift in my head I'm like all right this is the area where i can and cannot turn and so like every time i would pick up a pallet and like get near walls and get near stuff i'd like always imagine like all right this is what i can and cannot do but we were lifting like pallets of uh water uh which doesn't sound like much but oh, it so was much. uh a case of a case of water had like 32 bottles and these were like 12 ounce bottles so 32 times 12 and then it was like 60 plus cases on a pallet and so that adds up to a few thousand pounds uh a lot oh yeah and we would stack them up like two or three stacks high we had i want to say an upwards of 30 ish pallets of water oh so much water there was so much water and it got to the point where like hey if you can take it you can take it however much you want it was so much water it's kind of kind of interesting water was the cause of the disaster in the first place and we were we couldn't get rid of all the water that came in I remember in our our second warehouse at our next project, we had so much water that it was it was collapsing the floor. Oh, in the uh, in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. So actually, let's let's segue into that. I guess somebody thought we did such a good job at the disaster relief warehouse in Baton Rouge in July that when another disaster happened in Albany, Georgia. And I think it was January, they requested our team to go back there. So do you want to talk a little bit about the disaster warehouse in Georgia? One part of it was a pretty small warehouse. And the other, uh, the other part was uh, like a, a medium-sized barn. But the wood was rotted away in so many spots. Like uh, a quarter of the warehouse we just couldn't use because like the floor like sunk in. So I remember we were using a forklift. Uh, I was driving the forklift. I was driving to like the back corner and like I started getting like a really bad feeling. I'm like, hey, we shouldn't drive it forward anymore. I don't remember who it was, but someone was like, yeah, no, you're fine. Just keep going forward. And like I scooted forward like another foot. And then I just felt the uh, the floor just like give and it dropped like half a foot. I'm like, yeah, no, this is not happening. I dropped the load and backed out. Yeah, that warehouse was very different from the louisiana warehouse the ones in louisiana were actually emptied out movie production warehouses and they were fairly modern yeah it was concrete floors throughout Uh, yeah but the uh the one with the bad floor was it was just wood yeah this was a much smaller disaster it was there were two tornadoes that came through the city of albany georgia um like right after each other after new year's a great yeah. new year's present third one actually did or almost did touch down while we were there yeah can you tell us what it looked like do you remember seeing some of the stuff i remember uh we got there uh we stayed in a i think it was a church camp we got there it was again late at night we always arrove at night which was really weird <laughs> uh it was super late at night uh so we all like we all packed in uh like went to bed and uh like in the morning we like uh got our stuff loaded into the van and went to go like uh go to work and i remember just like just being in sheer shock at like the 
the power of a tornado. I remember there was a uh, a fifth wheel, which is like a uh, a small little camper uh, that you tow behind a uh, like a truck or a car. I remember it was like wrapped around about halfway up this forty uh, foot tree. It just didn't make sense to me, like something that could be that powerful to just pick it up and just wrap it around a tree like it was tinfoil. And there was just trees uprooted everywhere. There was, uh, I think we drove past a house that just had a tree go through uh, the roof. It was definitely like a hard thing to experience and see. Yeah, it was insane. It. We had a group of, I want to say it was like, eight people walk through like a massive field uh, with trash bags and just picking up pieces of houses and like drywall and insulation and just throwing it away in a bag. Yeah. I think we found, we found pieces of paintings. We found a massive like gas station ice chest in the middle of this, this person's yard in this field that was miles and miles away from the gas station. It was absolutely nuts. Albany was, a bit more of a, a a desperate situation and the people there were a, a little more stressed, I guess, because they really didn't get as much help. Yeah. So that was part of the reason we had somebody posted at the front of the warehouse to act as security because there were, there were a few threats against yeah. the warehouse and the people running it who were just regular everyday people. Yeah. There and, was at one point uh, where Warren started uh, carrying a, uh, uh, his handgun with him and I remember there's also a couple of volunteers that were they were well intended but they were it seemed a little off uh, they volunteered to like guard the warehouse and they had like long rifles to guard the warehouse yeah it was like these two these two mercenary guys with like like AR-15s or something who, oh who and were... they're like bulletproof vests and like walkie talkies like the whole nine yard it was like I want to say it was like a militia style. Like it, it was definitely well intended, but it just seemed like it would track, attract too much attention to the warehouse. So like we had them there for one night. And we're like, yeah, uh, we're, we're good. We don't really need your services. So you served as uh, part of the security detail for a little while yourself, right? Yeah. So by security detail, we didn't actually do much securing. It's like stand at the entrance whenever a car pulled up called in on the walkie-talkie, asked for the driver's name, uh, and wrote, like, reply it, or, like, send that information through the walkie-talkie to Kathy. I do remember you had to bounce uh, a couple of very angry people who left Kathy crying. Yeah. There was at one point where I thought that I was going to have to take the forklift and pick up someone's car. Because I remember, like... This dude, like, pulled up in his car, like, screaming and hollering. Like, I get it. It's very stressful, but doing that is not going to help. It's not going to help at all. It's going to make people not want to help you. But he was screaming and yelling about something. And, like, he was threatening uh, Warren and Kathy. And, like, God, it was just really bizarre. He was very aggressive. He was posting up to Warren and uh, to Kathy, like bumping chests and like getting in her face. And Warren was a big guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there were a few instances where, you know, it was apparent that the city was under a great deal of stress. But for the most part, the people at the warehouse were really kind hearted, ready to help people. And, and I thought it was pretty inspiring being around them. Oh, yeah. 
it's definitely a very stressful situation to be in on both sides, needing the help and trying to give the help. Because no matter what you do, people are always going to be upset. The people that need help are going to be upset because they just had everything they had just uprooted. But at the same time, you got to remember the people that are volunteering to help you are doing just that. They're volunteering. They don't, they're not required to help you. They're trying to be nice and help you. Screaming and yelling at them makes them want to do that less. That's the thing that people have a hard time understanding is that they're not government service. They're not special. Like they get paid thousands of dollars to do this. No, they're, they're people that dropped their job, dropped everything they were doing to come down and help. There's this one guy named Harry, but I think his parents lived in Albany and he just dropped his career and he flew up to yeah. Albany and he spent a, a week or two. He spent his vacation time helping yeah. run the warehouse. Oh, yeah. So, Devin, if you had to leave the listeners with one lesson, one takeaway from your experience with AmeriCorps doing disaster relief, what would it be? It's a stressful job. It is well, I wouldn't even call it a job. It's a stressful work environment. Very stressful. It's very taxing. But at the end of the day, you go home or you go back to uh, wherever you, wherever your team is set up to like hunker down for the night. And you think back and you realize you've done a lot to help people. And I've said this before with a couple of friends. Is AmeriCorps something that... I enjoyed, I enjoyed meeting the people. I enjoyed helping people. I did not enjoy the work because it was very stressful, but would I do it again? Without a doubt, without a question, I would do it again because someone needs to do it. Someone needs to be the guy that says, Hey, I got the time. Hey, I got the ability to make other people's lives a little easier. That's fantastic. Devin, this has been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for joining us. It's no problem. Thank you for having me. My guest today was Devin Mott. Check out AmeriCorps.gov for more information on AmeriCorps and C. If you're interested in disaster warehousing, go to communityservices.org slash disaster response to learn more about the Adventist Community Services Disaster Response Team, one of the major national players in relief warehousing. They're even active right now distributing relief supplies in response to COVID-19. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, feel free to subscribe and please consider sharing the show with someone you know who you think would get something out of it. Your personal recommendation will always be the best way any good story spreads. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Dan Grinthal, and we'll see you next time on Adventures in Service.